Content warnings for this episode include discussions of anti-Semitism and queerphobia. Greetings! You're listening to Horror Nerds at Church, a podcast where we take a deep dive into a horror film and talk about what it can teach us about God, the Bible, and each other. My name is Pace, and I am the person who actually has experience in kink and whipping, so I guess we'll get into that a little bit later, but yeah. And I'm Emily, and I am the one who can speak the languages that weren't included but probably were spoken in the move in the actual time of Jesus. Love it. Accurate. Okay, so in case you all at home don't know, we're talking about one of the most controversial films ever made, also one of the highest grossing rated R films ever produced. The one, the only, the Passion of the Christ. <sighs> so, um I guess I should say a few words about why we're doing this since it's since I usually do when we cover a film that isn't explicitly horror, but I think most of you listening at home probably can guess why we're covering a film that isn't explicitly horror because it kind of is also very horrific um, and very gory, very bloody, very like a lot of horror special effects are in it with the horror rating R as well. And some of the stuff that the film talks about and the theology it produces and the behind the scenes stuff is also horrific which we'll get into so um all sorts of reasons why we're covering this one but also it's holy week when this is coming out so happy mm-hmm. monday or holy thursday for those of you if you're listening to this on the day at the podcast that it releases um oh and i guess that's a good segue into It's Holy Week, which means that our sibling podcast has a shit ton of episodes that have dropped by Mm. now about Holy Week. So you should Mm -hmm. definitely go and listen to those. You want to say anything about that, Emily? Yeah, I love all of our episodes because I'm biased and I wouldn't make stuff that I don't love. (laughs) But also, particularly in light of this movie and the massive amounts of anti-Semitism in it, you should definitely check out Nerds at Church's Maundy Thursday episode. We have Rabbi Maurice Applebaum, who was my CPE partner back in semin- in my seminary days um, on. And we talk about Passover. We talk about Christian supersessionism. We don't use the fancy word supersessionism. So we talk about the relationship between Christianity and Judaism and the birth of Christianity and all sorts of really awesome stuff. It's one of the best interfaith conversations I've had in a really long time. Um, where we get to like ask questions and challenge and and hear stuff that maybe makes us a little uncomfortable. Yeah. But compared to the Passion of the Christ, which is just massive amounts of anti-Semitism and gore and <laughs> make you feel like a ter- like terrible about yourself. Yeah. I think it it would be a good balance for folks. But mm-hmm. we also have like Jesus Christ Superstar and <laughs> Capital Punishment. Love it. And. What exactly is an Easter Vigil? So lots of super awesome episodes that are up and out. 
That's really All awesome right. and exciting. And also, um, we'll talk. I'll make sure it's linked in the show notes. Another episode y'all did because it's relevant to our deep dive about anti-Semitism, which is y'all's Good Friday last uh, episode from last year, Jess Davis, uh, where you yeah. talked about some of the anti-Semitism in the readings that are traditionally done on Good Friday. So, uh, good conversation there too. Yes. So, and that I think, yeah, I think that was a two-part episode because there was just so much great stuff in it and it all had to do with the gospel of john so we'll talk a lot about that but yeah Mm -hmm. um also i guess uh just shout out to our ongoing mini so mini series on polyamory uh please if you are polyamorous or know people who are polyamorous and you would like to submit a story please continue to do so uh, we're still accepting them uh you can do so horror nerds at church at gmail.com or at the um other link which i believe is bit.ly slash minisode submissions or something but actually the correct link is bit.ly forward slash hnac minisodes um mm-hmm. oh there is just one good friday episode just kidding it's just really long <laughs> love it that's what i want um i guess we are unless you have any other announcements uh oh something we've fallen out of the habit of which i am reminded by some of our listeners to get back into is um in past seasons we usually checked in about what how each other have been doing and uh, if we've been watching anything fun, I just don't think of it because you and I talk almost every day and we are usually sharing what we're watching <laughs> in real time. So I don't feel the need to check in with you. But for listeners at home, have you been watching anything fun? Uh, how you've been? All that fun stuff. Yeah. So I have been really busy. I got to see my family recently and so have not had the time to like watch stuff, but did listen to two audiobooks and I started Dracula the audiobook um the other day and listened to it on my way back from pulpit supply doing pulpit supply in Woodbridge Virginia oh wow um yeah so I haven't been doing a whole bunch fairly intentionally but having like a lot more time for relationships which has been really good that's awesome. what about you uh let's see I've been so busy lately i think i mentioned on a past episode that i have a new part-time by part-time i mean it's full-time but like it's limited time so like one month worth Mm -hmm. of short term yeah short term there's the word i was trying to think of yes a new short-term job that has just been taking over my life and i'm glad that we're entering the final Mm -hmm. week of it um but just it it was an amazing experience and i do not regret it at all and yay more money but also uh, i'm also glad it's over <laughs> yeah so that's mostly been my life has been absorbed with that so i really haven't been watching anything sadly um not lately but i know we have a few things to be looking forward to for the podcast but also just mm-hmm. in general yeah i guess last week i did watch a bunch of vampirina because <laughs> We recorded our BooTube episode on Vampirina, which is coming out. I think coming out next week uh, when you're listening to this. So around this time. Yeah. Oh, okay. So coming out soon. And if you haven't heard a four-year-old talk about Vampirina, (laughs) 
or their parent, you definitely should check it out. It is amazing. I, uh, it was a really fun episode, and now I have a new favorite like show. Um, but anyway, yeah, look, definitely subscribe to Patreon, listen to that, and what else? Oh, um, what we do in the shadows? That's our Patreon uh, movie mm. that we're doing this month. I couldn't think of it for a second. But yes, so that will that will probably already be on Patreon, so you can listen to that now. Um, Hopefully. What did yeah. you think of the movie? Since we've definitely watched it and recorded it, Emily, be well before we did this, and we're not recording out of order at all. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of good shadow, and people and and characters doing things. Love it in the shadow. Yep. So, uh, yeah, we haven't recorded it yet. That's I, I have uh, seen this movie only once. So from my recollection, I actually think you're pretty accurate. <laughs> so I in your guess. Uh, OK, well, I guess we can get into this movie. Nice. Um, the Passion of the Christ, directed Mel Gibson, came out in early spring of 2004. Uh, February 2004, my junior year. In high school. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, was that your first time seeing it then? Like, as part of a Mm -hmm. youth group thing? Or, like... So, I I watched this movie for the first time my junior year of high school with my youth group. It was, like, a Young Life slash church youth group combo thing. Um, And I remember seeing it and being profoundly impacted. Like, nobody had ever actually explained how crucifixion happens and so or like which like this doesn't really do anyway but like I didn't have the full a fuller picture of how Jesus died and um so that like I missed a whole bunch of the stuff that we're gonna talk about because I was a high schooler and I just didn't know Mm -hmm. um but came out of it and was just like needed time as an as an introvert to Mm. process and so i was like i'm going and and we were gonna go back and like talk about it and so i was like i'm gonna go back and hang out with or i'm gonna go back in like this youth director's car because i think it'll be like i think i'll be able to just like sit in silence for a little bit and like and so i was like i think i'll be able to like ride with this youth director and I won't have to worry about, like, talking about stuff. And then he, like, proceeded to ask questions and try and process stuff in the car ride. And I was just like, <laughs> uh... No. Yeah. So it was it was really powerful for me. And I apparently blocked out a whole lot. Like, when we watched it this time, I actually, like, felt sick to my stomach yeah. at points. Where I was just like, I... What about you? Uh, what was your first experience? I was in high school, my senior year. Um, and I trying to remember what my church that I was attending at the time thought of it, which I don't think we saw it. I really don't think we watched it as part of um, like anything I was doing with my church. But I do remember like 
a lot it was being talked about by like my peers in high school of, of mixed religion i lived in columbia maryland which is a very intentionally planned community and my high school among that was is particularly diverse um in people's uh religion and culture and uh in people's color of their skin and all those things so just a very diverse uh, high school and so like i just remember like everybody was talking about regardless of what Mm. um, faith tradition they were and so i finally saw with my dad uh close to it was like during holy week i'm pretty sure uh or around then and we saw the film and then we went to my stepmother's Easter vigil service afterwards. And my stepmother is Greek Orthodox. So she, um, mm. so it's like a three hour service. If you've never been to a Greek Orthodox Easter vigil service, uh, three hours is like on the light side. It might be like four or five. I don't remember. Uh, mm-hmm. But I remember like Easter vigils in general are supposed to be longer. Yeah. And Greek. Which Orth- you can find out more about in our Nerds at Church episode. <laughs> For sure. And Greek Orthodox ones are particularly long because the service is said entirely in, um, at least in this country, uh, in the United States, is said entirely in Greek and English, um, in addition to it just being a much longer liturgy in general. That would probably be almost two hours mm-hmm. on it, on its own without doing everything bilingually. So, um, yeah, yeah. So I remember, like, my sister was very reluctant. My sister Jenna, who's been on, on this podcast before uh, in our season two episode on Friday the 13th. But anyway, uh, my sister was in middle school at the time. So the fact that she saw this movie in middle school. But I remember wow. um, being pro- seeing it during Holy Week already being, like, uh, I was a pastor's kid. I was really invested in the church and stuff. And Holy Week was one of those always just perennially meaningful times for me anyway and then seeing this mm-hmm. movie was uh during that time what when i'm already in like thinking about these kind of things uh, it was very impactful and mm-hmm. so i told my sister um like she was saying i really don't want to sit to the service and then i was like we just saw passion of the christ look what jesus did for us we can sit through a four-hour service like i remember saying that my my sister like the most toxic like gross christianity stuff of course that i now know but like as a kid like ooh. so yeah that was the kind of impact that this movie had um fun I also remember the controversy, though, uh, of the movie. Like, that was part of what my peers were talking about. Some of the controversy, uh, which we'll get to in the behind the scenes. Yeah, I don't think we talked about the controversy at all. I had one evangelical friend in my friend group, my extended friend group uh, in high school. And I think that was one of the first times that I truly, like, understood the difference between evangelical christianity and mainline protestant christianity Mm. was in the approach to that film and particularly this evangelical friends like absolute adoration of this film as this amazing spiritual uh experience that just like with a complete disregard to any historical inaccuracy whereas i remember like the rest of my friends and even 
the little bit I do think we talked about it in church was more of a measured approach. So I was just like, whoa, I didn't realize that there were types of Christians out there who would look um, so, who, who would just like love a movie so much in spite of all of its flaws without like any critical thought about it. Like that was like high school paces, uh, very like surprised interaction with my um, evangelical peer, which of course is not a fair characterization of all evangelicals. I was 17. But is a characteristic of a lot of evangelicalism. Yeah. No, I was 18. Shit. Sorry. I was 18 when I saw this. Anyway, guess we can get into some behind the scenes of this movie. I feel like I'm rambling. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, listeners. I'll try to edit some of it. Rejected. <laughs> take that back. Okay, I take it back. People literally listen to podcasts because the hosts talk. That's like the point of them. Yeah, I'm feeling particularly self-conscious. I don't know if I'll leave this part in or not, but I'm just saying I feel particularly self-conscious because of how tired I am. Like I feel like a lot more mm-hmm. slipping through the sieve than is typical. But anyway, onward and upward, Excelsior. <laughs> so um, Mel Gibson had the idea to make a biblical epic based on the Passion in the early 2000s, and the uh, um. I forgot to mention this earlier, but if you want to hear a amazing, brilliant theologian talk about Hollywood biblical epics, go back to listen to our season two episode um, when we interview uh, Richard Lindsay, uh, who has who wrote a book called Hollywood Biblical Epics, where he analyzes especially the homoerotic and campy subtext of these films. Um, but yeah. starting with stuff like uh the ten commandments and ben-hur and stuff but going all the way up (laughs) through passion of the christ and i think the noah movie or something uh which had come out uh shortly before that book was published so definitely go back listen to that episode and buy that book Hmm. but um yeah that sounds fascinating it yeah really is and um the fact that this wasn't intentionally like made to be a biblical epic which are known for their extravagance and camp and i would say that that is also true in this one. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, originally, he want, uh, Gibson wanted to make the film to be in Latin and Aramaic with no subtitles, uh, just to let the drama and the story stand on its own. Uh, but he was convinced to... Which, like, makes no sense. Yeah. But he was eventually convinced to have subtitles in English. Uh, there is no Koine Greek in this film because of reasons. Uh, can talk about that. Nor is there any Hebrew? Like, there's a little bit of Hebrew. It's only oh well. We'll get into the anti-Semitism of when the Hebrew is spoken. But anyway, continue. Yeah, but like, there should be Greek in this. The languages that yep. should be spoken, and it wasn't always clear on the subtitles, so I didn't always catch it, except for like when I could hear. Mm-hmm things that sounded more latin and hear things that sounded more hebrew aramaic um but like huge classism in assuming that jesus speaks latin at all that like like the ways that they're communicating all of that stuff like this is not a highly educated populace like right yeah i that um there's 
all sorts of historical inaccuracies about this film, and we'll get into a deep in our deep dive. We'll go into it, uh, but one of the most glaring ones really is this language thing. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, Jesus speaks Latin, so if Jesus speaks Latin, then that must mean that the language, the Latin language Bible, the Vulgate, must be legit scripture. So there's some theological reasons why jesus speaks latin too i i think um which is like bs yeah that's the vulgate is a poor translation yes moses did not have horns jerome but cool anyway (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh moses didn't have horns and in fact matthew's quote of like the maiden it's not a virgin hmm? it's just a young woman um but Jesus, uh, well, this is also weird to me. The script was originally written in English and then translated by a Jesuit priest and scholar, William Folco, into Latin mm-hmm. and reconstructed Aramaic. So it, so to me, it feels like clear that this was like, a, I, I'm trying to think of a nice way to say it, but I'm not, but I'm failing, but just like basically a douchey move of Gibson of asshole-ish move right, like, of Gibson without going, any yeah. actual thought into the languages that people were speaking and stuff. Well, and it's partly it's there's like an aspect of like wanting to get into the historical context of it and an aspect of like not wanting to actually do the work or pay the people mm-hmm. who are most impacted, right? So yeah. instead of paying script writers who know Latin and potentially Aramaic or even like modern Hebrew or Arabic Mm -hmm. to write the script. It's written by, I think a white guy. Yep. Mel Gibson wrote the script and then it was translated also by a white guy. God. Jesuit priest and scholar William Foucault. I don't think I realized he wrote it himself. Yeah. It's just like, it's such a, egotistical uh, i don't even yeah yeah uh don't 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 be like mo goodson yeah um since it's uh since the film was first announced it was almost immediately met with controversy um over the use of the two dead languages over alleged anti-semitism which we'll get into um and lack of faithfulness to the source material and also just huge uh polarization of audiences over the film's heavy gore which ultimately led gibson to release a less gore heavy version of the film a few months after its release which i didn't realize he did that yep you can find it on the blu-ray and dvd releases uh but we watched the full version kid friendly version yeah it's still pretty gory though so like it they just cut out five minutes of some of the most graphic footage okay um so getting into the anti-semitism a little bit here but we're going uh just as kind of like the behind the scenes of what people were saying at the time but we're going to take a deep dive into kind of walking through some of it later in this but just to know what people were saying at the time it came out um the department of interreligious affairs of the anti-defamation league and the secretariat for ecumenical and interreligious affairs of the usccb which is the united states uh conference Catholic Conference of college. Bishops uh, or College of Bishops. Yeah. I thought they were a College of Bishops. Okay. 
uh, said belovedly as the USCCCCCB by many Catholic uh, lit- liturgists, who I'm <laughs> sure will get that joke. Nobody else will. Um, but they released a statement saying it had that they had significant concerns about the anti-Semitism contained in drafts of the script and communicated those to Gibson. Uh, led to a huge public debate about it. Uh, John T. Palikowski of the committee said the following, that each of each of the mem- committee members read the script individually and then compared notes. When we did begin a group discussion of the script, we quickly concluded that it was one of the most troublesome texts relative to anti-Semitic potential that any of us had seen in 25 years. Uh, yeah. Accurate. Um, and yeah, we'll get into some more of that. But uh, almost immediately after some of that news started to come out, there was huge divide in news media as this was kind of debated with some like critics and film scholars and people uh, saying what, how it wasn't anti-Semitic and others saying how it was and just a mess. Um, and of course, nobody like really trusting or listening to the people, the Jewish people who were speaking loudly about mm-hmm. the issue as well and how it was affecting them. But yeah. Uh, there's a sequel in the works with Mel Gibson and Jim Caviezel. Uh, mm-hmm. Jim Caviezel played Jesus in this one as well. They're already signed on. It's called The Resurrection of the Christ. The pandemic has delayed the ongoing development of the film. Um, there's also... Thanks be to God. <laughs> right. I mean, like, not thanks be to God for the pandemic, because that's bad and sucks for especially the most marginalized, but like Thankfully, the production has been delayed. Yeah. Um, A lot of the Icon Studios who helped produce this film and Mel Gibson, their response to it was that they were just using the biblical source material without... um, And so they were not... uh, So so they were depicting gospel truth. So any claims of anti-Semitism were not... uh, gospel truth uh uh, where uh, because apparently the gospel there being this film is so true to the gospel which we'll also get into how it's not in many ways uh but so that's kind of their right there's that's kind of their argument i think the usccb uh encouraged catholic people not to see it due to its anti-semitism although there was some Mm -hmm conflicting news reports about what the pope himself thought about it pope john paul ii during the time um some reports saying he loved it and others just being a little bit more measured um i oh and also the catholicity of mel gibson he was openly catholic uh, jim caviezel was openly catholic they were having uh daily masses on the set like just this huge like very very intense catholic production in a way that was a particularly form of catholic that many contemporary catholic critics and I, contemporary catholic priests in the U- u.s counts uh the usccb and catholic theologians and stuff were saying no this is not what we endorse like trying to distance themselves because of how that like sounds like it's like christian crusade yeah. propaganda so. and that's i think why it was popular in many evangelical circles because it really has that kind of Christus Victor sort of message that is uh, the main 
uh, atonement message. Uh, that was one thing I was considering going to for a deep dive is to like do a deep dive into atonement theories. But I figure there's just so much we need Ooh. to unpack with this movie itself that I don't want to yeah. start uh, that. But maybe yeah. we should do a mini sode or something <laughs> about atonement theories and the horror of them. We could. I know Kay and I did last year for Easter, for our Easter episode, I think we did why does the resurrection matter mm-hmm. and so we got into some of the atonement theories so we can link to that if people are interested in some of the like more basic not from a horror perspective atonement theories yeah. and atonement just being a fancy theological term for how does jesus save or atone for people's sins through the death through his death and resurrection so just different theories on how that means. This one is clearly like good conquering evil message and also salvation through pain and torture and death. Um, like you do. Yep. So some uh, more quick behind the scenes stuff. Jim Caviezel, who played Jesus, was reportedly struck by lightning twice during filming. Uh, once during the uh, once during the Sermon on the Mount scene and then once while he was actually on the cross. Um, and then also he was whipped a few times in real life when the whipping plate was missed accidentally, causing it to make contact with his skin. How do you arrange and film and not take the weather into account? Yeah. Also, that's one thing I forgot to type up in the notes, but this film was filmed almost entirely in Italy with almost an entire European or North American cast. So... And yet this was supposed to be an historical <laughs> depiction. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Oh, yeah. And also, like, it just seems like this was a very dangerous set. Like, Jim Caviezel apparently even started um, having breathing issues when he was on the cross and stuff like that. Like, it's just like, it sounds so unsafe. This sounds like a very unchristian production if you, people keep in mind, like, the safety of their community. <laughs> has a christian value <laughs> anyway yeah um uh, last thing i'll say uh is the via Dolorosa that some of the source material for this was the gospel accounts some of it was just purely made up and then some of it was more traditional stuff that is part of like the catholic uh tradition like the via dolorosa the 14 stations of the cross uh which include traditional scenes uh, but also some non-biblical scenes uh, so there's some yeah. Protestant snobbery uh, about like <laughs> the ways that Protestants view Station of the Cross. Like, well, we only do the biblical version, but I feel like there's so much there's richness and tradition too. So I, so just to say that I I think it is awesome to depict the 14 Stations of the Cross, even though some of it's not biblical. We'll get into that in the deep dive, but. Um, for them to just say that this movie is completely based on the gospel truth or scripture is just actually not it's, true. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the part that got me the most, like a, the stations of the cross. And I was like, that's not. And I came, I came at the movie knowing the gospels really quite well as a Lutheran pastor, right? Like, mm-hmm. I know the Gospels pretty well. I especially know the Gospel of John, which is like the one that is most commonly used in for the Passion. Uh, and then being like, um, the Shroud of Turin or whatever? Like, yeah. 
no like yes Simeon was in there and I remember every Good Friday like our youth director would play the song Watch the Lamb which is like Simeon telling Simeon and his two kids going to Jerusalem to sacrifice the lamb for Passover mm-hmm. and then watch the lamb watch the lamb watch the lamb because I have to go carry this cross and then it's dad we lost the lamb and the dad's and Simeon's like it's okay because now they're at the top watch the lamb and they just like look at Jesus on the cross um so it's like this beautiful song that I have like fond affection for and so then I'm like yeah Simeon but also not biblical like the Simeon part is biblical but the other stuff is like not biblical and I will try and find a link to the song um so that you all can know what I'm talking about with this watch the lamb thing. So it is, it really is this beautiful song. I'm sure it's deeply problematic now that I'm like not in high school. Um, but yeah, they, the part that got me the most though was the, like, the La Pieta. Oh yes. <laughs> they like show Mary holding Jesus body when they took the body off the cross. And it was like, I could see as they were starting to zoom out, I was like, this is La Pieta. Yep. Um, And then I was like, well, now I'm just curious why there was no like Last Supper depiction (laughs) where everyone was all on the same side of the table just to get all the like most famous artwork, like European artwork in there. But yeah. And it, it's so true, like how like shoehorned in there it is, like this lingering shot of uh, the w- actress playing Mary in this very like unnatural position, just so it can look as close to this uh, Michelangelo sculpture as possible. Like mm-hmm. it's so silly. Yeah, uh, I think that gets into some of the stuff that I know you want to talk about quite a bit, uh, which is the stylization mm-hmm. and like the. It is a very gorgeous movie and from like a cinemagraphic perspective like it's very clear that mel gibson has some and the cinematographer have some skill in shooting a very gorgeous like visual experience even if there's so many other gross things about the movie mm-hmm. i mean my favorite my favorite shot was the like jesus lifting up the bread and the last supper going to lifting up the cross because it was just like, okay, that was really well done. I will give you that part. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I mean, when it opens, right? It opens in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I was like, is this like Lord of the Rings? Is this <laughs> horror? There's a point where like they, they zoom in on the full moon, which like the, so when you're calculating Passover, you calculate it based on the full moon. Like it's, I think it's usually after the full moon, right? So like having to be at the, having be, having the full moon at that point was like complicated to things. But then that was like full moon. Are there vampires? Are there werewolves? <laughs> I'm pretty sure there was like a werewolf running around when they were dragging Jesus. And I love it. Yeah one of the disciples they all look the same to me except for the beloved disciple who looks i don't know very young yeah um but like the rest of them like what and everything is in slow motion (laughs) 
every time Jesus falls, like, bam. Right. He falls so much. I know. Even when he's, like, nailed up, he still falls. <laughs> God. Um, yeah, but I, I also, like, to your point, though, I want to say, like, quick, as I mentioned earlier, the this kind of could be considered uh, a genre of horror, a subgenre of horror, which is called... Um, now I'm blanking on the name. Uh, torture porn. There we go. Uh, so a subgenre of horror called torture porn or a splatter film. Movies like the Saw franchise are part of this subgenre where basically the horror isn't in necessarily the suspense or the scariness or, or anything. It is more the horror is f- purely derived from making you like pushing the boundaries of the gore and uh, um, and to gross out and to kind of make that physical sensation of feeling ill, which is film definitely accomplished. I so I did. Yep. yep. So like this movie came out 2004. I think the first Saw movie was 2002 and the Hostel movie was 2002. Also another entry in this. So I feel like this is kind of part. I feel like th- if this was not for like the real, hugely of course religious tones of this film and the way that plays in cultural consciousness i would think this film would be a horror film consider that i think the only reason it's not categorized that way is because of the church yeah writ large and the power that mel gibson and like particular sects of christianity have yeah (sighs) i guess we can get into the summary of the movie which is yeah Based... I mean, I really liked, I really liked um, John Paulikowski, Paulikowski's summary, as he <laughs> said. The main storyline presented Jesus as having been relentlessly pursued by an evil cabal of Jews headed by the high priest Caiaphas, who finally blackmailed a weak-kneed pilot into putting Jesus to death. This is precisely the storyline that fueled centuries of anti-Semitic of anti-Semitism within Christian societies, which like there's some ableist language there with weak need, but also like that's, that's, that's an accurate depiction. I think you have a better summary, but like that particular summary, I was just like, yeah, that's like, well, I agree because like what I was telling you, Emily, before we started recording was like, I don't know how to do a summary for this. Cause like, what would I write? Jesus is brutally beaten in a, a historic and extra biblical way for 25 minutes. And then we have a flashback to the Sermon on the Mountain. And then we have, or in the Mount, I mean, and then we have another 20 minutes. It's like, okay. Uh, so basically, I feel like also this story is well known enough to our listener base uh, that I could just read the gospel here uh, or splice them. Or all of them <laughs> randomly cut and spliced together. Yes, exactly. With like, different things that just like got lost in the mess of cutting and pasting right um so i'm not gonna do like our usual in-depth summary but basically the movie begins in the garden of gethsemane the night of jesus arrest or lord of the rings something going on there uh, <laughs> right and then we i mean there's like a golem character right um and then we switch to jesus getting tried first by caiaphas and the sanhedrin and then pilate and then, interestingly, Herod, which is only in Luke's account, but 
more on that later. And then back to Pilate before Jesus. I mean, it, Herod is also in Godspell. Thank you very much. Yes, which supposedly is based off of the Gospel of Matthew, except they include. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, then back to Pilate, uh, who makes it very clear Pilate is the innocent person in this. Uh, more on that later. Uh, Jesus is then brutally tortured, which is the bulk of the film, and then crucified. Uh, the movie ends on Easter morning with the naked Jesus walking out of the tomb. The end. Also spliced in are scenes from the Last Supper. So the meal, the foot washing, though Jesus is doing like a contemporary Christian church foot washing <laughs> pre-pandemic, right? Where you like pour some water, pour some water, towel off. That's it. Like it's not actually cleaning feet, which in that time, I'm pretty sure like it would have actually been making your feet clean. Feet looked clean to begin with. So there's like some questioning there of like clearly not historical context. Right. Um, but then there's ritual hand washing, which actually looked like what I understand Jewish ritual hand washing to be today. I don't know if it's the same as they used to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and then the woman caught in adultery who of course has to be Mary because yep. sexism wouldn't be quite the same if we didn't have the Catholic churches. Oh, we have to demonize Mary because she's the apostle to the apostles and has too much power. How do we shrink that? Oh, right. Cholera whore. Mm -hmm. um, and then Jesus invent. There's also a scene of Jesus, like inventing the table <laughs> and the like right. contemporary table and chairs for his mom, uh, as well as the Marys and the disciples, or at least Judas, Peter slash Cephas, and the beloved disciple throughout. They, like, cut to them yeah. and scenes with them and them finding out things and them following Jesus. Um, and then also, as you mentioned, the Sermon on the Mount or Plain. It was not actually super clear to me. It seemed like maybe a hill, but... Yeah. Um, it looked more I mean, I guess it wasn't mountish than plainish for me. And also that was one of the scenes where he got struck by lightning, so I feel like it had to be somewhat elevated. I guess a plane if there's no trees you could also get struck by lightning. I don't know. But anyway. I mean you would think like if if this is a film popular in evangelical circles, you would think that kind of if God strikes you by lightning, that's a sign crowd would be like maybe god is saying something about this movie that's not a theology i personally believe in but just i'm surprised people are silent about this movie having the main actor playing jesus get struck by lightning twice and that's not seen as a bad omen but testament to his dedication to the role right which like that gets into the ending of the film too where not the ending ending but the like part where jesus finally dies and then the like tear from god falls to the earth and then i don't mean <laughs> to laugh god. but like come on yeah that's that's really like the the <laughs> one raindrop the tear from god and then there's like god's judgment on the jewish people with an earthquake that wrecks the temple and there is like biblically like there is an account of like and the curtain was torn and it i think it's in mark actually because it parallels the tearing of the heavens at jesus yeah. baptism 
Um, but like that concept of natural disasters as God's judgment. Yep. Yeah. It's, uh, <sighs> that's not how God works. Yeah. And also, if you think that's God, how God works, then... Why don't you think about, you about this to. movie, right? Yeah. Consistency, people. Right. Um, I guess we can get into a deep dive then. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about a little bit is kink. And then maybe we could talk a little bit about queer stuff. And then I think we should... Um, then maybe a few other things, then we could probably end into end with our talk about anti-Semitism slash leading into the historical stuff, because I feel like those are going to be the two biggest categories and sure. we want to give them the most yeah. space. So yeah. as a little, see, see, I'm doing good. Uh, I might advisor be so proud leading our listeners through the, through a paper in the introduction. Wait, leading Pace, the listeners did you just time. make a transition? I did. Holy shit. Scandalous. I know. I, I have to. Now that I I've really made a transition. A merch that says like to NB to transition. I love it. For Hornet the Church. I would buy that shirt. I think. Yeah. I think I need to make this shirt now. You heard it here first, listeners. We're going to make. There's new merch coming some point. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so this movie. <laughs> movie is pretty kinky um minus any consent yeah but like there is i i am hesitant to talk about like we are a movie podcast so i don't want to say like fuck mel gibson and jim caviezel but also they are trash people fuck them uh jim caviezel is like a QAnon person mel gibson is well known for some of his abusive and anti-semitic views and anti-queer views and all this shit so fuck them both uh but yeah there seems to be this like fixation of like i'm gonna speak very vulgarly here but like this hard-on for suffering and torture porn that is happening in this movie and then to like tie like this theological devotional kind of hard-on that you would often get in the medieval era like i mean this isn't unique to this movie you there is mm -hmm. historical precedence for this like angels or not angels and demons but yeah but um, like this obsession with the pain and suffering of jesus which goes back you know but that's kinky the, it's not <laughs> angels and demons the other one the first one the da vinci code Right, the Da Vinci Code has some oh, of that, that too. Yes. The like self-flagellation and the like punishment and suffering. And Joss Whedon thinks that like suffering is the thing, not just if not like <sighs> yeah. justice, not like reparations. Suffering that's like Angel's entire shtick is yeah. to suffer. Yeah, but I mean, this really is so. So I feel like. It, some people may feel this is like sacrilegious or something, but like really this is a very erotic mm. film. And it is erotic in this, in that fact that it is this clear like male gaze, this very feminizing portrayal of Jesus, which is true to the gospels. Uh, yet these mm -hmm. weird interplays of toxic masculinity and this feminizing 
feminizing a Jesus through the torture and suffering. And then to add all of that to like literally bondage whips and stuff like that. And I'm not even being glib here, but like, I feel like this is very much people, uh, vanilla people who are cishet people who are too scared to give into kink were playing their out their fantasies on the big screen because they are too vanilla to do it i think there's like this marcella altas read quote where she talks about how paul tillich was this vanilla theologian who is like this sadist in the bedroom or something like that so i feel like that's kind of what's applying here like it is very much this we can living out a fantasy on a big screen by white cishet vanilla people in the name of jesus yeah I mean, it it is one of those things where anything that is at all close to like dominant culture, mainline mainstream culture, has to be really not kinky or like really bad kink because you don't actually have people who are into kink doing it. So Fifty Shades of Grey is portrayed as kink, but it's I have not read it, but from everything I've heard from people who are into kink, that's not at all how kink works. So it's just this, like, it's the church's, it's it's like a manifestation of the church's fears of what kink is. And, like, as a pastor in the ELCA, we have not great, like, we, the, we have, like, maybe one sentence about kink in anything, and it's complete, mis- like, completely not understanding what kink is and so then it gets played out yeah it's it's using a movie using books using fiction as your therapist when you actually need a therapist you actually need somebody who can say okay kink is right a good thing for people for whom it is a good thing and Mm -hmm. these are the boundaries that kink specifically creates better than most vanilla relationships Mm-hmm. because it has to yeah yeah um i was just having a conversation with my friend who's a brilliant theologian kai moore um who yeah. now i think i need to get them on the podcast to talk about because yeah. this is their entire research well not entire but a lot of the research they do is around um the cross and kink and so like i feel like mm. now i feel like this would have been a great episode to do it on, but like there's so much we need to get into with like the anti-Semitism and stuff that I feel like I don't want to dilute the conversation yeah. too much from that. So we'll have to find another future episode to get into. Maybe like the Hellraiser series or something. Those are pretty kinky. There are lots of possibilities. Yeah. Um, what did I say next? Oh, queer, the queerness of this film. Um, first, I want to say like, go back and listen to like I already said go back and listen to the Richard Lindsay episode about the queer how camp and queerness are related and this is a very campy film in its excess which is true of all Hollywood biblical epics this film is not an exception to that even though it's like this grit and realism in film there's it's just blood and gore to the point of excess so it's and yeah yeah that it's that I would say it's a very campy film um but so I feel so that's like a positive aspect of kink, uh, kink of queerness in this film. But then the rest of it is not positive. I'm gonna say, uh, 
Jim Caviezel and Mel Gibson are both uh, openly homophobic and transphobic, just queerphobic in general. Um, that's kind of ca- carried over into this very clearly queer coded appearing to be trans devil. Like Satan is yeah. this queer. It was like queer twink. And then it, and then you mentioned something about trans and I was like, Oh yeah. yeah. Trans masculine, like baby trans recently yep. hatched trans man. Yeah. Played, I okay. believe by a, uh, I believe the person played Satan and this was a woman, but spoke, but like the voice they used was like a man's voice. I was altered. Like it was just, there's all wow, sorts of like weird extra, things. Extra queer. Uh, yeah. Like they went over the top to like make the devil a woman, but also queer trans. Yeah. And then some of this interplays between the devil and Jesus are kind of erotically charged in a sense that makes mm-hmm. queer people out to be like tempting Jesus and tempting these good people. And this is how you stay good is by resisting the queer temptations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and th- yeah. I, yeah. And then there's Herod who is routinely kind of, turned into this campy queer person and from jesus christ superstar to uh to um what the one you're talking about godspell yeah like he's just always played as like a kind of campy queer coded character Mm -hmm. yeah and like there actually are queer characters in the bible like in this movie itself they could have showed the beloved disciples queerness but they chose not to do that i mean and try to like rough him up a little bit the the beloved disciple does seem kind of queer to me like also which which brings up the point what is with the facial hair in this movie (laughs) like i get that i have no concept because like i don't have facial hair i'm not interested in facial hair i'm actually like not interested in relationships with i mean not like not interested in romantic or sexual relationships with people with facial hair where like I have to care about how it is facial hair not my thing so I have Mm -hmm. no idea like the history of facial hair or when people started to like trim their beards or have more than a beard like to have a mustache or a little goatee or like Whatever it is that this beloved disciple has, because it's like the the beloved disciple is like very short facial hair, not a full beard, and looks young. So it like again, I think like I read that character as like a gay boy. Or maybe even like a trans man would also work, but like I did read that character is queer code not as queer coded as it could have been but yeah uh and yeah and very it's just interesting who they portray as queer in this um another group that i feel like is kind of queer coded are the sanhedrin um Mm. which is not great oh that's that's something so like everybody yeah. who's evil is queer and semitic yes and then everybody who is not is played by somebody who is american or italian cool uh 
Jim Caviezel even has blue eyes, but they digitally altered them to brown for the film. Oh my gosh, they did such a terrible job with that. <laughs> I mean, like his eyes look almost red at some points. <laughs> I was like, "Were was it always digitally changed, or did they leave it blue for?" I don't remember. I feel like it was always supposed to be brown that does not mean that they were apparently red but like i don't think that that was there may have been like unintentional scenes that it didn't make it through and his eyes are still blue although i mean as racist as this movie is and the type of person that mel gibson is i'm just surprised it didn't keep jesus's eyes blue but whatever right that's why i was like why did i think that it was um also i want to say uh i guess we can move into anti-semitism unless there's anything you want to get into before we do that i think i'm good to move into anti-semitism there's a whole i mean i have like gore and stuff that i feel like we just need to talk about but yeah i'm good with anti-semitism we'll get into some of the gore so many different categories of anti-semitism in this yeah uh and so a big source of this article, like I, I mentioned already how in the behind the scenes that uh, the Department of Interreligious Affairs of the Anti-Defamation League and the Secretary for Ecumenical and Interreligious Affairs of the USCCB uh, issued a joint statement ahead of this film's release um, saying, publicly declaring their concerns about the film after they had had access to a script and then had a conversation with Mel Gibson privately like issue I don't think it was a conversation so much as they gave him like a written report of stuff and suggestions Mm -hmm. um, and he did not take well to it and then basically uh, it became a flame war in culture after that with uh, people uh, the icon films and Mel Gibson like going on and on public record about how it wasn't and this is just an attempt to um undermine the film or something like that but this film is hella anti-semitic and we're Mm -hmm. and um so one of the people whose articles i'm referencing a lot in this i already referenced john t palakowski who was on that panel another person is mary c boys who was on that panel and i'll link both these things to in the show notes but uh, Mary C. Boys wrote an article called I Don't See Any Anti-Semitism, uh, Why Many Christians Don't Have a Problem with the Passion of the Christ, which is basically talking first about the meta conversation about religion and anti-Semitism in this country, which is mm-hmm. to say mm-hmm. the climate of this country are, and especially much of mainline Christianity already being anti-Semitic. And then why it is that a film as blatantly anti-Semitic as this would not be seen as much by the majority of Christian people who were, uh, and culture at large. So that's, uh, what her article is about. Uh, but before, Oh, go ahead, please. I was going to say, I think that's true. And I think there's also, I know I and probably others have a deeper understanding of anti-Semitism given the last, six years and 
the experience that we have had in this country of rising rising nationalism and white supremacy and anti-semitism but like white nationalism in a in a like rising not just like rising but like rising in mainstreamness right that we have members of congress who easily spout this without negative repercussions um yeah yeah uh and so before we get into like the anti-Semitism of this film itself, one of the things that, uh, in which we already are, but like related, one of the things that we mentioned earlier is like Gibson's response is that this is just the gospel truth. And so I think it's worth talking a little bit about, well, the gospel of all four of the gospels, but especially the gospel of John were written in a particular context uh, and are kind, kind of have some not great, portrayals of the jewish people um for variety of reasons so i was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit emily if you're willing yeah yeah and we get into this some in our nerds at church episode two for monday thursday but the so john especially is the audience of the gospel the original audience of the gospel of john is a community of jewish people mostly Jewish, not all Jewish, right? But of people who are trying to figure out who they are is the last one written. So it's also in the time, it's the closest to the time where like Christianity was splitting off from Judaism, which was like not Jesus' goal. Jesus didn't come to like create a new religion. Jesus was Jewish. Paul was Jewish. Almost everyone depicted in the Gospels, unless they're identified as Roman, is probably Jewish, or maybe a Samaritan. Um, Right? So it's all Jewish people. Um, And there was this, there was a point where part of what John is doing is setting it up so that people actually have to decide. So John is creating a picture to say to people who are followers of the way, which is the early name of the the name before the early church became the early church, right? So John is setting it up so that followers of the way have to decide, right? That's that's what John is putting before them is a decision. Uh, you're with us or you're not kind of situation. And in setting that up, he has particular depictions, the author, John, has particular depictions of Jewish people writ large, but also of like Judeans. So the Greek word for Jew is Judeo, and the Greek word for Judeans or habitants of Judea is Judeo. It's the same word. So it means different, like it could mean either one. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times we also translate it as religious authorities when we're talking about chief priests or Pharisees or those sorts of things. Because if if the Gospels were set, um, as Kay pointed out in our episode, if the Gospels were set in contemporary times in Minnesota, everyone in there would be Minnesotan. The, like, bad guys would be Minnesotan, Jesus would be Minnesotan, everybody would be Minnesotan, right? It's that the people around were Jewish people. That's who the characters were that's who jesus was that's who peter is that's who all of the disciples are but the way that christian anti-semitism has worked is to take this like 
internal conflict between followers of Jesus who were also Jewish and trying to figure out if that worked or if they needed to split off and eventually they split off. And then, so that, so, so then those who split off and became the early church became Christians took that conflict that the gospels are wrestling with out of its context and so then could say the disciples are following Jesus so they are good and we're going to forget that they're actually also Jewish and then all of the bad people were Jewish so all of the non-followers of Christ so that inc- and also Judas right Judas is like the worst of the worst even though most of the gospels depict some version of like Satan taking over but like the chief priests the Pharisees all of them are extra Jewish in Christian interpretation so that there's justification in like Christian supremacy and why Christians are anti-Semitic and think that Jewish people just need to convert. And that carries on through basically all of Christian history, including Martin Luther, including Bonhoeffer, including Tillich, I think, right? Like including the majority of people who, even the ones who were like, less openly anti-Semitic or less physically and directly hostile still were like the Jewish people just haven't heard the good news of Jesus in a way that's like welcoming and inviting and that's still Mm anti-Semitic and the ELCA is one of the churches as a Lutheran church who right Martin Luther had some really terrible things that he wrote and that he believed that then come up and are used to justify the Holocaust. Um, and so, like, the, the ELCA has written and has shifted especially Good Friday's liturgy so to account for the anti-Semitism and to apologize mm-hmm. for the anti-Semitism of the Lutheran tradition. And I know yeah. you for sure have plenty to say, could, could say plenty about Martin Luther and anti-Semitism. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's this, like the historical context matters a lot and that doesn't fix the gospels, right? Knowing the historical context mm-hmm. doesn't make them all okay. We have to continue to wrestle with them forever because that is what faith yeah. is about is the ongoing wrestling with how do we live life in the world in a way that means loving people, loving the people that God loves, which is everyone. And not like loving them into hell or out of hell. But, yeah. Uh, there are also uh, two books I want to recommend. Uh, both are a little bit on the academic side, but they're both very relevant to what we're talking about. Um, first is Cast Out of the Covenant, Jews and Anti-Judaism in the Gospel of John by Adele Reinhardt. And then the other one is Preaching Without Contempt, Overcoming Unintended Anti-Judaism by Marilyn J. Salmon. The latter book is more, primarily like aimed at preachers so and uh, pastors so i know some of our listener base is that i think feel like that book is also helpful for uh, lay our lay listeners too um but the cast out of the covenant is explicitly and exclusively about the gospel of john too and really unpacks a lot of that uh so um so i guess we should talk a little bit about like some some of the things about this film in particular uh, why it is anti-Semitic. Um, just to 
quote Mary C. Boyce, uh, who was on that team I talked about, uh, she said that, um, number one, uh, she gave four reasons, which were the four reasons that the team had identified. She said, number one, the film um, would promote anti-Semitism because of its virtually inex- inexorable portrayal of Jews as bloodthirsty enemies of Jesus. Uh, two, mm-hmm. the script contained significant historical errors, which we'll get into. <laughs> um, yep. Three, Jesus's opponents were one-dimensional bad guys with the drama and pathos driven almost entirely by violence. And finally, uh, the portrayal of the person and mission of Jesus was partial and skewed. And then they um, had two further points since it was uh, also, um, they're also uh, sponsored by the USCCB. So this was kind of a Catholic about, the Catholicity of Mel Gibson. Um, so they said the script drew upon New Testament texts without regard for Catholic principles of biblical interpretation. And therefore the passion, the, uh, their second complaint, which is the passion of the Christ violated many significant Catholic teaching documents about interpretation, interpreting the passion of and death of Jesus. And then mm-hmm. um, they said that these were integral, so integral to the script that they believed only substantive revisions uh, could fix them. And that was what they released ahead of the film. When the film was released, uh, they found that really little had changed and their what their warnings had been mostly ignored. One line was taken out of the subtitles, but kept in the original Hebrew, uh, which was, or in yes. So, uh, so, so you, we talked about the Hebrew. The only scene that Hebrew is spoken extensively is among the Sanhedrin uh, in the trial of Jesus. And they, there's a quote from, I believe the gospel of Matthew, uh, where it's where um, the Sanhedrin say, let this be upon our, let this decision be upon our heads and the heads of our children. Uh, Mel Gibson removed the subtitle translation of this chief priest Caiaphas saying that. Uh, but he kept the Hebrew um, of that te- of the, him saying that in the film. Uh, so yeah. yeah. Um, another thing, just starting right off the bat, supersessionism is the quotes uh, I, one of the suffering servant passages of Isaiah in the films before mm-hmm. the film begins. I mean, that's like how it starts. Yeah. Yeah, about Jesus uh, being like, or the way the film was interpreting it is that Jesus was going to suffer for the sins of humanity by being whipped and scourged and all those things uh, from Isaiah. And then we just go right in <laughs> of seeing all the awful portrayals of just every single Jewish person Jesus encounters is against yeah, him. Like and then Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say Jesus is like the least Semitic looking. Right. Because he's, he's not. Um, and they don't do anything to try to make him look more Semitic. And Judas is one of the most Semitic right. looking ones of the main characters, um, which is telling. But I think like the beginning, right, is the devil and the way that the devil mm-hmm. shows up in the movie, which, again, mostly not in the Gospels. Like there is a part where like, and Satan put it on Judas's heart or like 
there's implications actually that lead to a lot of me having that lead to my having a fair amount of sympathy for Judas mm-hmm. that like make it questionable whether or not Judas was acting of his own volition, whether it was because the devil did it because literally the devil made me do it or because God like ordained this path and Judas had to do it in order for the whole thing to play out, which is again, atonement theories and we don't need to get into them but the devil shows up in a lot of places throughout the movie and like the portrayal of the devil is 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 yeah queer coded as we said but also like creepy and in the background of all of the jewish people during like all the worst scenes and also that one scene with the children uh, attacking judas uh, where there's faces contort to like these yeah devilish like demon children yeah demon jewish which is child. literally a trope exactly the demon jewish child yeah yeah and like the devil carries a baby with like that dev- that demon child face yeah. during the whipping which is apparently the antichrist yep apparently which... that's how it's Mel Gibson Again, and others have interpreted not it. Not yeah. biblical, right? Um, and there's like the snake in the garden, also is like the devil in that in that space. But I think particularly because the devil's in the background, mm-hmm. and the assumption is that everyone around them is Jewish, and like when yeah. I mean, and that even in like the time of Peter's denial, right? Like the way. Peter's denial is depicted in the Gospels is like, yes, a tense time because mm-hmm. Jesus is on trial for trumped up reasons and all of those complexities. But like, they're standing around a campfire keeping warm and, yep. G- and Peter denies Jesus three times. But in the movie it's like combative and the people who are like fighting and pushing have like extra large noses and like just such exaggerated semitic characteristics and also just kind of interesting when the film picks up with jesus's arrest it does not so the film begins with the crowd antagonistic towards jesus whereas in the context of the Gospels itself, it begins with the crowd welcoming Jesus to Jerusalem. So there's this like intentional juxtaposition there that this film just, I, I, I mean, I get like innocently enough, like if you're going to f- feature Jesus's last 12 hours on earth, you're not going to be able to include uh, Passion, uh, Palm Sunday. But also that could have been one of the many flashbacks, but no, they just start off with the people, the Jewish people being incredibly antagonistic to Jesus. Um, and that one note, like I mentioned in Mary Seaboy's, just no motiva- motivation, just completely antagonistic and violent. Yeah. And this weird, so this is another thing that is very extra biblical is this weird going above and beyond to show the Roman people are not responsible for this. And Pilate especially is not responsible for this. Yeah. They like pit the temple soldiers against the Roman soldiers, right? Like where they're like, 
oh, they're not doing, like, somebody's trying to, like, tell the Romans, well, they have Jesus, and the Romans are like, what? And then the temple police are like, no, no, never mind, never mind, ignore her, women. Yeah. What not? And it's just like, oh, that's not how it worked. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and also just Rome was an occupying force at this time. One of the histor- mm-hmm. huge historical inaccuracies is um, that we'll, we'll get more into this. Maybe this is the transition, although I think we probably have a little bit more to say about the anti-Semitism in this. But anyway, like yeah. the Jewish people, including temple soldiers and stuff, would never, ever have been allowed to carry weapons under Roman occupation. And yeah. the roman occupying forces would not just easily bend over and cater to the wants of the jewish people because they like barabbas for instance this murderer was an insurrectionist against right like i always growing up i heard it translated as a burglar sometimes but also as a terrorist like an insurrectionist yeah we know a few insurrectionists well we don't personally know a few insurrectionists we know of insurrectionists a certain justice's wife for example (laughs) yeah right like those are people who are trying to overthrow the government and so like barabbas trying to overthrow the roman occupying forces exactly he wasn't just this vile murderer what that pilot says in this movie in the subtitles he was an insurrectionist and that was like a key point that them leaving that out uh just small things like that it really adds to this very um anti-jewish anti-semitic statement this film is making yeah and i know like growing up i definitely felt and felt like sympathy for pilot yeah which is part of like this anti-semitism right where like pirate pilots just stuck between like this crowd who wants to crucify Jesus and he doesn't want to kill Jesus, but like, what's he supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Which is not at yep. all accurate to who Pilate, like Pilate had the power. Pilate had all the power. And he didn't, like mm-hmm. he, he executed, like this is state sanctioned violence and state right. execution of Jesus. Exactly. I mean, crucifixion was not a jewish punishment that would have been stoning or a few other things that the bible tells us about about the contemporary um judean area around jesus's life and some of the punishments that were allowed to be committed uh Mm -hmm. uh enforced by some of the right with like a million rules to make it really hard to actually like ever convict and do that whereas then we have well, and I'm agreeing with you just saying to say like crucifixion is a Romish pun, Roman punishment. There is mm-hmm. no getting around that. Yet this film does its damnedest to get around that and somehow make it seem like the Romans are completely innocent of this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think part of that, right? Like part of why Rome crucified people the crucifixions were in place as you entered Jerusalem, right? Like they're there, not for every criminal, but for like the ones who are trying to resist the occupation. Like they are there as deterrents and they are there to be themselves the torture. 
like to be crucified is to not be able to breathe easily yeah and to have to like work to breathe at all yeah yeah and yeah and then jesus has that line about like absolving Pilate and blaming the jews and there is a like line biblically that where jesus says like you would have no power if it hadn't been given to you but from god but not in this like it's just taken out of context and twisted mm-hmm. so much which is such an easy thing to do with movies and so long story short in um answer to mel gibson's claim that this is the gospel truth no the fuck it is not <laughs> <laughs> not at all uh yeah yeah i also the like so this this kind of gets into the other the other pieces that we have to talk about um but there's this sense of like in the trial of the sanhedrin right the way that caiaphas and like Caiaphas pretends to not know who Jesus is or whatever. Caiaphas knew who Jesus was if this was an exchange happening. But also, like, nobody actually testifies against Jesus in the Bibles, in the Bibles, in the Gospels. Yeah. Um, And then in this movie, they're, like, all up on testifying against Jesus. And, like, the whole point is, like, that it's not a fair trial. There's no such thing as a fair trial. Like, it's not. It's state it's collusion with the occupying state. Um, but then it's also like the way that Jewish people are talked about, like the Roman soldiers when they're like hailing Jesus as the King of the Jews and they put the crown of thorns on him. They say that it's a rose bush, mm. which I don't think is accurate or like, I don't think that rose bushes were around then. I don't think I have not heard of rose bushes and Palestine yeah. <laughs> together, at least. Right. So there's like rose bushes, but they also like call Jesus the king of the worms. Mm-hmm. And so like associating Jewish people with worms, which is dehumanizing. And that is yeah. part of anti-Semitism. Um, it happened with uh, mice and rats in Germany under Nazi yeah. Germany. Um, but like the comparing people, comparing groups of people to animals is dehumanizing. Um, I mean, we even talk about that in our Nosferatu episode up on Patreon mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. how that was a deliberate attempt of the director of that film to make the vampire look very rat-like and also very Semitic-like and connecting those two things in very gross ways. Yeah. And there's also, like, mental illness is depicted as, like, there's, like, a demonization of mental illness, right? Like, Barabbas looks crazy in a scary way. Yeah. And Judas and the torture of Judas and, like, all of those things are its own, like, mental illness, like, all of this. But none of it's talked about, so it's just, like, inferred, and so you get, like people who have mental illness who are like that's what you think of me and other people who like don't notice it but the stigma gets in in those subtle messages yeah (sighs) this movie my god 
Um, I guess we, the last thing I want to talk about is some of the historicity of the film. I uh, just want to talk about the gore. Oh, yes. Uh, which, which I think also we can talk about with the historicity of the film in that first and foremost, the torture methods, there is no historic evidence that there were any sort of torture methods to this extreme in uh, Palestine and in Roman torture methods of the time contemporary Jesus. So that's completely fabrication. Yes, Jesus was scourged and whipped and many criminals were, but it was not to this to this extent that is depicted here. Yeah, like the soldiers look gleeful at the torture, which is circles back to the like torture porn. Yeah. Um, but I I was thinking about that because they started counting, and so I was like, oh, they're counting to thirty nine, right? Because this is what I have heard, mm-hmm. thirty nine because forty is how you kill somebody, which is such inaccurate. But like, then they kept going and kept going and kept going and it's like the acting got worse and worse because there is no actual way that a person could survive all of that and do all of the things that like jesus supposedly did afterwards and also like just physiologically typically when one reaches that level of pain um in real life like your body and your brain start to release hormones and things too help block it out you get you pass out mm-hmm. things like that your body has defense mechanisms so you would not endure that pain the way that this film depicts it yeah and instead jesus like falls down and then gets back up like the amount of toxic masculinity of yeah. like no i have to get back up and show you like both of the like roman soldiers who are beating him but also like the toxic masculinity of like ah oh, they've hit me so many times and i've literally like fallen down but i'm gonna get back up for another couple of rounds right like it, it does no good and there's not like there is not a le- a justifiable reason for it like biblically even if you go with like jesus is taking on the punishment of everyone else which i think is really problematic theology like it's not yeah. actual like one whip per person sin yeah like yeah uh, yeah. Um, also, the crow pecking out the bad thief's eyes. Yeah. Like, what the actual fuck? Speaking of camp, like, that seemed just pure fabrication and just great, cool. Yeah. So over the top. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are also some inaccuracies in the depiction of Jesus' crucifixion. So I, ha- I have this article link in the show notes of two archaeologists who commented on the historical accuracy of this movie, Dr. Andrea Berlin and Dr. Jody Magnus. So I'll make sure that's linked in the show notes. But they go through a number of categories. The gore and torture is one of them. But crucifixion, also they noted, um, I think this is common knowledge among many people, but uh, but basically uh, the Jesus jesus actually probably wasn't nailed through his hands um it was mm-hmm. almost entirely more uh without exception if somebody used nails it was through the wrist uh, which could support the body weight but more frequently mm-hmm. uh, vil- uh victims of crucifixion were tied by ropes to the cross not nailed at all um yeah i i had always heard that like the other thieves were like tied and then jesus was 
nailed. But if you are Catholic, where there are the most frequently like crucifixions cru- or crucifixes in church buildings, the wounds are almost always in the palms yeah. and on the feet. And so Mel Gibson, right? Like what Mel Gibson thinks is like gospel truth and historical accuracy is really mm-hmm. his upbringing as a Catholic boy. Yeah. I mean, when this stuff was, I mean, it was the the tradition for that comes from a lot of like medieval art when the crucifixion became like this fascination. And by that point, crucifixion had no longer been practiced for centuries. So they didn't know any better. Now we know any, now we know better. And yet we're still producing mm-hmm. this crap. Um, so, so yeah, that's part yeah, of it. Well, and crosses, like you said, right? Like crosses in Christianity in general, didn't become a popular symbol until after until well after crucifixions stopped yeah like the original symbols of christianity were like an anchor or an ichthus which is like the fish yeah fancy fish yep yep um also uh it was noted that this film would have had to have been rated X for an accurate depiction of Jesus's crucifixion in that Jesus would have been naked for the entire p- torture and punishment right. or at very least the crucifixion, if not the torture as well. Um, That's what I was thinking. Like, cause, like there are entirely too many clothes on yeah. for this to be accurate, but like all of them. So it's this combination of like purity, like modesty yeah, and utter torture, gore, torture porn. And yet, interestingly, like, we still get a new Jesus when he's at the very end of the movie in the tomb, but we don't get to see anything because of the way uh, it's shot. But still, like, that's interesting that that's the scene where they have him nude, even though he has burial cloths in the text. So when the text mentions his clothing, we're not going to have clothing. But when the text doesn't mention his clothing, we're going to make sure there's a little Jesus diaper on him. And, like, the Jesus diaper, like, very well made to like keep everything tucked in. Yep. <laughs> it's like this is not what I know of, yeah. but I don't know that much. But pretty sure I know more more than Mel Gibson. Um, yep. Uh, we already talked about the language. How at the time most of the people would have most of the soldiers, most of the merchants, most of um even maybe Jesus would have been speaking koine greek uh most of the common people have been speaking aramaic very very like Mm -hmm. Pilate may have known latin but and a few of the soldiers from rome itself may have known latin but that just would not have been spoken really at all um in that region so that's also inaccurate um also this goes i'm jumping back just slightly to the resurrection part yeah the like I missed a little bit because I was like taking notes on my phone and also because it was intense. But the like ending, so the ending a little bit snuck up on me and I was like, wait, what? Unscathed Jesus is already just like chilling in there? Yeah. And we have multiple accounts, particularly in the Gospel of John, of Jesus showing the disciples the wounds. Yeah. And so like presumably if Jesus is still wounded, right? Like so having him be like whole and healed is actually really ableist. Yeah. Like presumably if Jesus is still wounded in hands, 
and side and feet. Yes. Or wrists, ankles. He also would have all of the other scarring. Yeah. And so the like over the top gore, like you can clean it up and have it be like starting to scab over perhaps. Yeah. But it's still all there, and yep. instead they depict a very like clean, like, fluffy-haired, yeah, white guy. He had he had a hole in his hand, if I remember correctly, but it was like healed. It was just like just the hole, but no damage around it, no like blood, no puffy skin or it anything. Didn't get, just like torn from his yeah from the so. work of his body. Yeah, real cool. Um, one thing that I like <laughs> though about this article that I'm going to the show notes. Cool. Uh, from the two archaeologists is they said that even if the passion of the Christ adhered in every detail to the specific narratives of the synoptic gospels, which it clearly doesn't, um, but even if it and did, it's impossible because they are somewhat yeah. contradictory. And even if they did to the gospel of John, it would still be neither accurate, uh, nor it would it be okay to understand these as scripts for the arrest trial and crucifixion of jesus so in other words like the gospels themselves do not do an historically accurate job because they were written uh decades after jesus uh mark was like 60 to 70 i think and then john where a lot of this is based off was like 90 to 120 there but yeah yeah, so so even the gospels are not historically accurate in their account of the crucifixion um Mm -hmm. so but this film neither is accurate to the gospels nor to history is their point they're saying so yeah it's it's just bad and like i want to say something about the women too but like they're just as they're depicted so weirdly (laughs) like we already talked about mary magdalene and that but like well, it is interesting too that the narrative choices, like when to show this time frame of Jesus, there are a few flashbacks involving the women, but then really mm-hmm. it's just the women at the cross, and women's have no agency in this at all, and so it really cuts out the scenes. Like what we have the resurrection, but we don't have who encounters the resurrection first. Like they deliberately mm-hmm. leave that scene out, which would have oh, been the women. You know. You know that when the resurrection movie comes out or whatever, they're going to glance right over Mary. Or in their conglomeration of everything, they're going to make Mary be the Mary from Mark and just do the early thing where they ran away and didn't tell anybody because they were scared, which is like a literary, like it's a, it's a literary strategy on the part of the gospel of Mark to have like, Throughout the Gospel of Mark, the disciples get worse and worse and worse to the point where after the resurrection, they run away and they don't tell anybody because they were scared Mm -hmm. so that the hearers will be like, oh, well, I can do better than that. I'll go tell people about Jesus. Like that was the literary strategy. But like that is if if Mary is depicted, that is how they're going to depict her. Yep, for sure. So that the men get all the credit and glory. Or they will relegate that to just like a flashback or something even. And then the majority of mm-hmm. it will be like the 12 hours of Jesus on the road to Emmaus or something. Oh, so my gosh. <laughs> and those disciples will probably both be men, of course, because not like in a relate, not in a sexual or romantic relationship, just yeah. like men who happen to live together. Yep. <laughs> and be walking. Bert and uh, Ernie, odd couple. 
So, yeah. yeah. So um, th- there's a few other things that I was going to get into about like some of the Bible stuff, but like, I feel like we've covered quite a bit. Um, the, except just to say that there are some, the Bible accounts themselves as Emily and I have already alluded to, do not agree on everything, including like the day that Jesus died. Some have it Wednesday, mm-hmm. which would be Matthew. Some have it Friday, John, and then most are thir- or Thursday or Friday or somewhere in there. So it's like, it's just, mm-hmm. they, they don't fully agree. Um, Herod is only in the gospel of Luke, for instance. So, so this, so even if you wanted to create like an accurate account to the gospels, that'd be an impossible task. And we've already said how much, liberties this does take with scenes like the um i believe her name is Teresa with the shroud and stuff like that from the I thought Via it was veronica Rosa. veronica something like that can you say it was yeah. veronica probably i we had this exact same conversation yesterday so i'm sure yeah, you are remember yeah. it more accurately than i am <laughs> i didn't get up at six this morning so Truth. i did yeah Although you got up at six yesterday morning, which is the first time we had the conversation. So we might be off. That's fair. Yeah. Um, Before six, actually. Woodbridge, Virginia is like an hour and 20 minutes from Baltimore. Right. Uh, Well, I guess we can rate this movie unless there's anything else you want to go through. Um, No, I think we covered a lot of things. I will say before we read this movie that I thought in season three, the season of Vampires in Twilight, that probably my worst rating was going to be for the Twilight movies. <laughs> I was wrong. I love it. But I can't wait. You go first. Okay. Typically, we rate the films all season long consistently with fangs, but there are no fangs in this movie. So I'd say let's do something else. Um, what are you feeling? Nails? I'm cool with that. I mean, it's probably a little sacrilegious, but I'm still cool with it. Uh, we're not going to get more than three three nails anyway, which is the canonical <laughs> amount. So. Um, There's actually like a really beautiful Roman or Roman. There's a really beautiful Romani story about that, actually, of like a Romani person who's like a blacksmith and makes nails. And is given like the task of and makes stuff, but like mm-hmm. is given the task of making four nails and then finds out what it's for and tries to steal them back, but only manages to steal one back. And so they have three nails to use for their mm-hmm. Interesting. It's like a beautiful folk tale thing of like, yeah. oh no, I didn't know what I was doing and now I can't get it back. And yeah. Yeah. I've read many variations, like one of like a carpenter who did made the cross stuff like that anyway the three trees yeah. that the one three too trees where they like one wants to be like a big warship and one wants to be like a treasure chest and one wants to point to god wants to like not be cut down and point to god and then okay the war- i'm going anyway. to rate this film two out of ten nails which is also how i rate a lot of those folk tales <laughs> Uh, for their christian piety grossness maybe not the romani one i like that one um and also i won't give any hate to the romani people they get it enough in horror but to the weird three tree thing yeah no um favorite kill is my soul watching this (laughs) 
<laughs> it was so bad. It really hurt watching this. Oh, it was so bad. It was, it was, it was I think we both said this. It was way worse than I remembered it yeah. being. As I will not watch that movie again. I know. Like, I'm, I'm glad like, I got I'm it done. over with now in season three. I never hopefully have to ever think of this film again. Or view it for any reason. Yeah. I like I'm glad that we we rewatched it insofar as I now realize things that like I just didn't mm-hmm. didn't grasp and it helps me understand how I reacted to the movie as a kid. And I, but Yeah, I guess I should quick say though, like in my rating of the film, I gave it just I feel like a justifiably low score, two out of ten, I assume behind that. I do think the cinematography is beautiful. I also feel like it is absolutely okay to take liberties in the story of Jesus to tell a cohesive narrative story. I feel like these liberties are dangerous, harmful, and really bad theology, which is why I'm saying this. I feel like like Godspell, much better. Lots of liberties. And it's a fucking musical for Christ's sake, but like Jesus much Christ Superstar. Check out our Nerds at Church episode. That's yes, also a good like cleanser. Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I um, I can't get past the horribleness of the movie, and so <laughs> I'm gonna give it negative one nail. I'm gonna try and get Holy that shit. nail. Back, the like, lowest, so the lowest rating ever on horror nerds at churches for this movie. And just like it is so harmful, and I'm with you. Like, I have grown a lot in my faith in my lifetime to the point where like I do think that it's helpful to have and I enjoy like non-canonical stories about Jesus whether they are fiction or not like Lamb the Gospel According to Biff Christ's Childhood Pal (laughs) yes that's great too has been my favorite book for a long time I haven't read it recently so I need to like double check how it holds up but um like I think that that's lovely I love I'm excited at some point to watch The Last Temptation of Christ. Like, mm, I, mm-hmm. I think that those are beautiful. And they, sh- it's like satire, right? It's like yeah. jokes. You don't punch down. Mm-hmm. You punch up. If you're punching, you're punching up. And this movie is millions of dollars spent punching down. Mm-hmm. And I would not be surprised if a number of the insurrectionists from January 6th, 2021 <laughs> had seen this movie, right? Like there, there are the ways that like yeah. Dylan Roof, the white man who killed black parishioners at Bible study, right? Like yeah. had a white Jesus. And yeah. it's not just the, like that Jesus is white, which happens in like all the biblical epics, but it's also that like, all of the evil is so Semitic, is yeah. so Jewish. It's awful. Yeah, I would um, just quick say, like, I would say, like, um, I, I would say it's impossible to make a one-to-one correspondence between the rise in anti-Semitism in this film, but you, it cannot be denied that this movie is part of the trajectory of mm-hmm. anti-Semitism that we see today and things like the QAnon movement and the Capitol rioters are insurrectionists or whatever. Um, like, and all the like 
Jewish people are lizard people in control of the environment. All that completely off the wall stuff that this movie is part of the uh, part of the journey that we took as a culture to get there. Yeah, yeah. Um, my favorite kill. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Yes, please <laughs> no, give us your favorite. No, you're kill. good. You're good. I liked your favorite kill because my favorite kill is was um, my appetite. <laughs> well like i we ate dinner right before slash when we started this and i was like oh bad idea emily um no it just like yeah and i mean this is a horror podcast i'll just say i love a good horror gory gross out bloody movie um on occasion uh and that's fine this movie though the way they did it isn't fun or horror is just like meant to like it is so obvious like trying to elicit feelings of um in the believer like this devotional piece that added to the gore that just makes it nauseating for me beyond like the typical gross out stuff that i can watch in slashers all the time and i'm cool with it's just something about how this movie does it that just it really grosses me out and makes me feel physically ill while watching it so going from one bad movie to a slightly less bad movie i guess or i don't know yet i haven't we seen don't it know yet. but twilight saga eclipse came out 2010 is what we're doing next so hang in there folks it's gonna be a <laughs> bumpy few weeks but then we get to interview with a vampire which we have already recorded at the time we're recording yes. this and that was a really Super fun episode fun. so looking yeah. forward to that one and that's it for our show. <laughs> our, <laughs> that's, yep. Mm-hmm. Our, our theme music was by Matt May, who along with Pace edited this episode. Horror Nerds at Church releases every Thursday. Please comment, rate, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Support us on Patreon and get access to exclusive movie commentary episodes, YouTube episodes, and more bonus content by going to patreon.com slash horrornerdsatchurch. It's only $5 to sign up, cheaper than a ticket for any movie, especially this one. Follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram at horrornerdsatchurch, and Twitter at hnacpod for all the latest updates about upcoming films, news, and other announcements. Until next time, don't be an anti-Semitic queerphobic asshole like Mel Gibson. Yay, or Jim Caviezel. Both of them can get struck by lightning again. Yeah, watch out for lightning. Yes, love it. That's a better one. All of it. We'll just keep the whole damn thing. (laughs) Perfect.